0: Good morning everyone and welcome to your active online debate supported by the European Alliance for Plant-Based Foods and today we're going to be discussing food for thought. How can we reshape our food systems for a sustainable future? But first things first, as always, we like to have your comments and your questions. So get involved in Slido. You can see the QR code on your screens just there. All you've got to do is scan it, and you'll be away to ask all of your comments and questions to all of our panelists who are, of course, waiting for your questions. Okay, so today we're discussing sustainable food systems, but essentially we're going to be assessing the value of plant-based food. Now, the UN estimates the global population will grow to 9.7 billion by 2050. That's gonna be challenging for the global food supply. Many already can't afford um, to eat and demand for high protein diets continues. Now the sustainably conscious amongst you will know that meat production contributes massively to greenhouse gases. The CO2 footprint for 100 grams of beef is 15.5 kilograms of CO2 or the equivalent of 78 kilometers of driving a car. On the other hand, chicken equates to 1.82 kilograms of CO2, whilst on the lower end of the scales, you have root vegetables, tofu, and fruit. So reducing the environmental impact of the food we eat could also have huge consequences for the planet, but also for our health. If you eat meat, we know that it can lead to major health crises such as um, diabetes or cardiovascular disease. Now today we know that the attitudes of European consumers is changing. A lot today are thinking more about what they eat and what they put into their body for fuel. Now plant-based foods and diets are becoming ever more popular as an alternative way to get protein and have a healthy balanced diet. Now, EU data of the last year suggests that sales of plant-based products have increased by 226% in Germany and 82% in Austria. And just think of the last time you went to a cafe and ordered your latte or your espresso or whatever it was that you wanted to have. Almost every cafe shop now has a wide variety of dairy alternatives. Now, one of the flagship initiatives of the Farm to Fork strategy is the proposed legislative framework for sustainable food systems. It's set to be adopted by the Commission by the end of 2023. It aims to accelerate and simplify the transition towards sustainable food systems. But if we are talking about plant-based foods, we know that hurdles remain taste, price, ingredients. And weren't we always told that processed food isn't good for us? So, is plant-based the healthiest alternative for a sustainable diet? Are there more levers that we could find in legislation like the Farm to Fork strategy? Well, let's ask the experts. Okay, but first of all, we're gonna have an opening statement to set the tone. I'll give the floor to Yasmin Debau. She's the global CEO of ProVeg International and the Vice President and Board Member of the Alliance, European Alliance for Plant-Based Foods. Please go ahead.
1: Thank you so much, Miriam. And thank you, uh, you for organizing this wonderful event. I think it's really important to talk about one of the most pressing challenges of today, which is building sustainable food systems. Um, we're particularly delighted to welcome the four expert policy and science panelists, whose views and wisdom will be the foundation for today's debate. My name is Jasmine de Bo, and I'm CEO of ProVet International and co-chair of the EAPF um, steering committee Alliance, the European Alliance for Plant-Based Foods brings together like-minded organisations with a mission to put plant-based foods at the heart of the transition towards more sustainable and healthy food systems. It unites organisations across the plant-based value chain, including corporations, think tanks and NGOs, to leverage uh, collective resources and it plays a pivotal role in promoting plant-based alternatives. By collaborating with policymakers, scientists and public health experts, The Alliance works to influence and shape the broader discourse of food systems, highlighting the importance of plant-based foods and diets as a solution to environmental degradation, public health concerns and animal welfare issues. So let's start with the context. Now, it has become increasingly evident that our current food systems are placing immense strain on our planet. Mariam already alluded to that. Conventional animal agriculture in the unsustainable consumption of animal products have profound impacts on our environment. But how can we align our food systems with the European Green Deal and Paris Agreement climate targets? Well, the science is quite clear. There are technological solutions, they are shorter supply chains, but nothing comes closer to helping us achieve the targets than addressing the main cause of the problem, which is the food that we produce. That's why we urgently need a sustainable food systems framework a bold EU vision with clear targets that define sustainable foods and describes what, um, how we measure the impacts, a framework that follows overarching principles and um, it looks at an integrated approach with other policies, also a mechanism to follow progress and to um, hold each other to account. I hope you enjoyed today's debate and that inspires you to take action uh, in any way you can to improve and set up a very sustainable food system framework that um, will be a long lasting um, framework that can actually help everyone the planet people animals and i would like to thank you for caring and um i'll pass over to the other panelists for now
0: thank you so much and yes let's pass over to the panelists so first we'll start with anastasia um, Al Visu, she's the deputy head of unit at the Farm to Fork Strategy at DJ Sante. We also have joining us Tom Arnold, he's a chair of the Irish Food Vision 2030 Agri-Food Strategy. He is having a few technical problems, I think, so we will obviously um, skip over him and hope that he does come back into the conversation. We also have joining us Isabel Petiotta, who's the policy officer for sustainable food systems at the European Environmental Bureau. We have Dr. Marco Springman, senior researcher, environment and health, at the Environmental Change Institute at the University of Oxford. We obviously have just met Yasmin Dabao, who's a Global CEO of ProVeg International and Vice President and Board Member of the European Alliance for Plant-Based Food. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us bright and early in the morning here on Year
2: Active. And we'll first of all go to Anastasia. Yes, good morning everybody and I'm, I'm delighted to be uh, amongst these uh, exceptional panelists and, and to discuss also about this very important topic. I think very, uh, uh, yeah, food is very emotional, I think it, it appeals to all of us. And what is the future? Uh, we had the farm to fork strategy in 2020, we are three years down the line. And a key element of the the farm-to-fork strategy and also of the European Green Deal is to enable the transition to sustainable food system. And that's where the role of what the future framework for a sustainable food system in the union will bring about, Uh, it aims, if you like, to uh, solidify the essence of farm-to-fork strategy. And to uh, ensure this enabling, uh, to have this enabling character to, to bring about this paradigm shift on the way we produce, the way we consume food. So, an internal part would be linking, let's say, the, the production side with the consumption, bringing also more to the fore the need for an integrated approach, a systems approach. Uh, and to ensure that we have a food environment that favours the sustainable food choices. That is, in a nutshell, the ambition of the Future Framework
0: so much for uh, setting that out for us, and we will of course ask you more about that framework a little bit later on. Um, so unfortunately we still can see Tom isn't um, available, so um, we will go, oh no, I hear that Tom is there, welcome Tom, um, please thank go you. ahead and introduce yourself to the audience, thank you for coming back as well.
3: Thank you and sorry for these technical hitches. Um, my role was i chaired the for the development of what's called food vision 2030 which was the irish foods irish agri food strategy up to 2030 it was a stakeholder-led engagement uh it was one of the it was the fifth such event fifth such strategy development since 2000 and uh we set out we worked for 18 months uh and we approved a document which the the government approved in August of 2021. Uh, And the central objective of this food strategy for Ireland is that Ireland should become a leader in sustainable food systems over the course of the next decade. And we spelled out four high level missions or if you like policy directions. Um, And one of those was to prioritize coherent food and health policies to deliver improved health outcomes. Now this for an agri-food strategy in Ireland was quite an innovation and we spelled out a number of sub-goals in order to achieve that. So now this strategy is is in implementation and uh, I'm hoping that it will deliver the, I would say, quite ambitious targets we set out. Is that okay for the beginning?
0: Yes, it is. Brilliant. Okay, over to Isabel now.
4: Thank you, Mariam, Um, and thank you for having us here today uh, to discuss this really important topic, uh, which ultimately, uh, as already mentioned by Anastasia, represents the core of the Farm to Fork promise and why that strategy has been and and can still be groundbreaking. Um, We believe creating a policy framework that can effectively initiate and and guide the transition to sustainability for our whole food system is a a prerequisite to ensuring our food systems contribute to human and planetary health, rather than damaging it, um, and to uh, securing long-term food security for for all. We know policy fragmentation is one of the main obstacles to securing that transition, and we know that we need every part of the food chain to be mobilized and supported um, to make those needed changes, so that the transition can be just and effective. And that's why we need a food systems approach in policymaking. Um, There's historically been a strong focus on the production side, which is, of course, um, foundational. But if we do want to achieve a sustainable food system, we also have to work on processing, marketing, distribution, consumption, and and waste. Um, And policies addressing these different levels uh, of the food chain need to be aligned towards the achievement uh, of common overarching objectives and they need to be developed in accordance with common principles um, that should uh, indeed be set by the Sustainable Food Systems Law. Um, And indeed, uh, the theme of today, consumption is a key level of action. We need to address current dietary patterns and we need to do so without putting all the burden of change on on, on the consumer. Um, Of course, providing reliable and transparent information to consumers is, is important. But it only works if it's deployed in support of structural measures addressing food environments and ensuring they enable uh, healthy and sustainable food consumption choices. Um, So looking forward to this discussion and I'll leave it at that
0: for now. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Dr. Marco, over to you.
5: Yeah, hello there. Good morning to everybody. Um, Yeah, I I very much agree with uh, Isabel, Anastasia, uh, what they just said. I mean, the farm-to-fork strategy um, is great as a uh, policy document and it uh, talks about all the right things. But sadly, uh, a shift towards sustainable and healthy dietary patterns um, is only included as a qualitative target, whereas lots of production um, goals are really spelled out quantitatively and can be, uh, can be assessed at the member state level. I would have wished in order to actually be... Uh, uh, be serious about dietary changes that there would have been uh, similar quantitative targets like reducing the gap in uh, sufficient fruit and vegetable consumption or um, um, the gap in reducing meat, uh, meat and dairy consumption. Um, we have all those targets written out and uh, um, um, uh, ran uh, commonly assess how a healthy and sustainable diet looks like in each member state and what the implication has for uh, health and environmental impacts and indeed We find in our food system assessments that without dietary changes, there is really little prospect of limiting dangerous levels of climate change or reducing environmental resource use when it comes to land use uh, um, and other issues. So dietary changes are really at the heart of the issue and it's dietary changes towards more plant-based diets. They don't have to be completely plant-based, but at least to some kind of moderate flexitarian diets. And if we don't manage that, uh, uh, I I think the whole, uh, all the targets that are spelled out in the farm to fork strategy um, will be very hard to achieve. So I hope we can discuss a little bit more the importance of really dietary composition in the whole strategy.
0: No, definitely. We will be discussing that, uh, Dr. Marco. Okay, so let's open up the discussion then. Um, Yes, I mean, because obviously you've already gone, um, you've already had the opening statement. um, So I'll ask you then the first question. Talk to me a little bit about, personally, what your diet looks like.
1: Yes, that's a good question. Uh, I've been vegan for over 20 years. So um, anyone who says that you kind of don't get enough protein or any other uh, source of um, uh, micronutrients can see that that's uh, not quite true. Um, I'm quite active and run a lot, so um, I used to do a lot of races. So what I eat uh, at the moment is just very kind of... um, mainly healthy foods, uh, porridge in the morning, and uh, a nice, um, I I do eat gluten-free bread at the moment, but that's a a personal choice. Um, And then in the evening I have stir fries with whatever rice or pasta, or um, just lots of vegetables and and quinoa, good grains. So I think I have a very balanced diet. Occasionally eat um, veggie burgers or uh, vegan fish sticks or whatever that is, yeah, takes my fancy, occasionally you you go for vegan pizza or whatever. But what Marco was just saying is really important, I think, is that you don't need to go all all the way, you you need to kind of make uh, significant changes. And I think plant based food present a multi problem solution to all these problems that we've just been discussing. Um, And it's really important that we remember that the policies in the EU can make a big difference on people's diet. For example, the common agricultural policy and the promotion policy have been shaping people's diets. Uh, they've been actually encouraging people to eat more meat and more animal consumption, uh, just at a time when most people eat already too much, uh, on average, about 70 kilos of meat per capita, which is far too much um, if you look at the dietary guidelines in different countries. And that's not even including fish or other animal products. So I think we really need to um, make that shift. On a personal level, but also at an EU level, it's 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 about both. You know, you need to get put the system in place and then encourage people to uh, uh, eat more plant based.
0: Okay, well, let's pick up with um, Dr. Marco then. I mean, you were saying that you well, you were essentially talking about dietary changes. Um, what does the data or the research say about why people have made dietary changes? Is it because of sustainability, or is it perhaps a mix um, that people are being you know they might have dietary concerns
5: well at the moment at the aggregate level we actually don't see very many di- uh, dietary changes i mean you you spelled out some data of how much uh, um plant-based foods increase, but if we look at aggregate data at the uh, country level, uh, diets have really stalled uh, for basically a decade. It was literally a lost decade in terms of improving diets in many high-income countries, including uh, EU countries. So um, that really points to the importance of changing uh, the food environment and making it easy for citizens to choose diets that are healthier and more sustainable. And that needs to include not only Uh, citizens in uh, urban areas where you have a higher uptake of uh, more plant-based and healthier diets that also needs to include uh, uh, rural areas and low-income households Uh, and for those it's really essential that there are uh, uh, supportive food policies in place.
0: Policy then, Um, so to Anastasia then, Um, if the data as Dr Marco says isn't there how do you then legislate to change the food environment? I mean, obviously it's a kind of, is it a one fits all approach to trying to get people to eat more sustainably?
2: I think we have to acknowledge that there is no one size fits all. So uh, the ambition, if you like, of the sustainable, of the of the legislative framework is to become the guiding uh, star, then our North Star towards the transition. Um, how can we that achieve? By having certain common principles that would underpin this concept of food system law uh, by uh, stimulating uh, a favorable food environment. It's very important to also understand what we mean by food environment if we can describe it in a nutshell, we would say it's all this, uh, it's the physical, it's the economic, the the political context within which a consumer interacts with the foods uh, and engage with the food system and make choices. So far, the emphasis is very much on the responsibility of consumers uh, making the choices do we need something more do we need elements to nudge uh let's say more sustainable consumption that's i think what the framework will look at uh by perhaps uh, uh seeing what is the value of sustain of, of public procurement in that context uh by also uh setting up certain principles for uh labeling if you like for sustainability information, sustainability related information, and whether there is also the need for a more targeted action in certain areas so that uh, we eliminate practices that are uh, unsustainable in terms of perhaps marketing uh, and advertising. This is an element that we have to look closely at. I want to be clear that the framework will not ban products from the market. It's not, not About one or the other. It's about bringing the necessary balance that we don't have. Currently, we indeed see more and overconsumption of, let's say, red meat and dairy and so on. We need to stimulate plant based uh, diets as well. Bring back the balance. I think that's the key message. Okay, so
0: Isabel, let's pick up on that then. So, You know, she's talking there about responsibility, having balance, the impact on the environment. And obviously, eating sustainably does matter. And there is this sense of responsibility because there's this big chain reaction. It can lead to food scarcity, water scarcity, um, you know, the environmental and biodiversity loss, climate change, loss of livelihood. And in the worst case scenarios, it can even lead to conflict and migration. Um
4: Yes, uh, indeed, the uh, the effects on uh, on uh, on our ecosystems and and on on people's livelihoods across the globe are are rife. They've they're rising. We are starting to uh, become more aware of them be, because they started happening a lot more in in Europe as well. We've had the recent cases uh, of, of of the floods in Italy, um, the ongoing droughts in in, in Spain and Portugal. Um, the way in which the climate and biodiversity crisis are affecting food production and food security across the world are are ever more obvious. And and this is something that we will have to act on. Um, And at some point it won't really be enough to to act on it gradually, which is is why we, we, we need to act now. And in terms of uh, an element and an aspect that has become so central in, in today's uh, discourse and, and political landscape and the policy landscape sorry, um, on food is the fact that these, the effects of these crises uh, are really jeopardizing food security and they are jeopardizing our ability of producing food in the long term. Um, And tying back to today's theme, um, producing animal based products is a a, a massive part of of the issue in terms of land use and emissions, about three quarters of uh, agricultural land globally is dedicated to producing animal based um, foods and that ties into a lot of different factors. Of course, food systems and diets are extremely complex and, and tie back to cultural and, and identity. But in terms of, if we look at the health aspects, as Yasmin was, was, was mentioning, um, it is possible to have a, a healthy diet, also in terms of a proteic balance, um, while decidedly reducing the average consumption of, of animal proteins. Um, yeah,
0: I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Okay, well, you know, we've talked about, you know, what makes up or why we should have um, sustainability. Uh, Tom, talk to us then um, about Food Vision 2030. Why is Ireland making this big push for sustainability? What's driving it? Is it simply for agri-food exports? Or is it really to make um, Ireland a leader in sustainable, you know, agri-food exports? What's the, or, or just to bring up the population and make sure that they eat better?
3: Well, as I said, this is the fifth such agri-food strategy since 2000. So there's been a tradition of framing policy um, in a, I would say, effective and collaborative way. But the re- F- F- Food Vision 2030 has fastened on uh, sitting, being a l- Ireland being a leader in sustainable food systems, I think for very good reasons, both domestically and indeed interna- internationally. And again one of the uh, important um, innovations of this is a commitment in this document that there should be coherence between our domestic policy on sustainable food systems and our foreign policy. So that if we are able to demonstrate that we are indeed leaders in sustainable food systems, and can produce the evidence for that. I mean, and we're talking about sustainability in its three dimensions of economic, environmental and social sustainability. So if we can be established as leaders in that, it certainly would be of of economic benefit. But it, it also means that Ireland has a voice in international meetings advocating for the same thing and uh, agreeing to help other countries move in this sustainable direction. So for example, there are two really important meetings later this year, uh, which are are relevant to this. And the first one is the uh, stock taking moment for the food system summit in July, Uh, two years ago. Uh, over a hundred countries committed to working in the direction of sustainable food systems and this stop-taking moment is designed to see how far they've got down that road. And the second important meeting is COP28 to be held in December in Dubai and the, here for the first time ever in a COP uh, uh, meeting the current presidency of the COP, the UAE, have acknowledged the link between climate policy and Food, food policy. And this is a real opportunity to, to really, go, you know, look for how we can go da- better go down this road and help countries uh, both improve their climate policy while at the same time working on their own food security.
0: And so Tom, can you shed a little bit of light on how Ireland is using um, this to really use its voice in this consensus process then? <laughs>
3: Well, it played a very uh, significant role in the 2021 Food System Summit. Uh, Very much a strong advocate for this summit, which was called by the UN Secretary General. And the very first time that you had a UN food system, a UN summit, uh, focusing specifically on uh, food systems. Um, And the second meeting in that same year was a summit in in Tokyo, Nutrition for Growth Summit, where Ireland made a major, major commitment to increase its own spending on nutrition in, in its development programs, uh, and so such that Ireland was the highest per capita contributor to uh, nutri- improving nutrition at the global level. So, I mean, the country has been consistently serious about this, not just in in terms of advocacy, policy advocacy, but in terms of putting money behind it uh, in support of that advocacy.
0: And so, Anastasia, then I mean, you hear from Tom, Ireland is making this big commitment to nutrition. How are other member states faring?
2: Well, we have seen that uh, also other member states are coming forward with uh, national strategies
3: and actually. a governance mechanism, let's say
2: the platform where we can stimulate the uh, future development of uh, national plants, uh, exchange information, exchange best practices, learn from another. And also, and very importantly, stimulate cooperation amongst the different players in the food system. I think this is another element that uh, has to be strengthened, in a way. So, uh, we see a a movement, we see member states also, other member states being engaged, thinking how to develop the national strategies. But all these, in order to bear fruit, need to be anchored on a common basis. And that's what the framework will establish, a common basis upon which Uh, member states can further develop their national strategies and provide, of course, the platform to exchange views on that and and, and learn from another.
0: Okay. And so, Isabel and Dr. Marco, then, Um, I think, Isabel, you were talking about, I'll come to you first on this, you were talking about there needs to be a stronger focus um, on production, um, and then you were talking about marketing, waste, needs addressing. Um, so talk to us about the kind of main bottlenecks that we see in the different stages of food production to making food systems more sustainable.
4: Um, yes, I do want to clarify that uh, I don't think I said there needs to be a stronger focus on food production, but that historically policy has focused more on food production than it has on the, on the rest of the, uh, of the food chain. And uh, actually, in terms of uh, transitioning uh, the whole uh, food system or initiating a uh, system wide t- transition, we've covered the, the need for um, a, s- a systemic approach in, in, in policy and for the need for uh, policy coherence in terms of bottlenecks that are there because of, let's say, structural uh, reasons and the way our food system has, has developed. Over the past decades, um, there really is uh, an issue of um, power concentration in the middle of the of the food chain, whereby um, actors in that that segment of the food chain. So we're looking at uh, large processors, retailers, advertisers, and so on that effectively function as a sort of um, Pit stop or translator between uh, messages and signals coming from the production and con- consumption side, so from the uh, supply and demand side, are uh, sort of actors in in this uh, conjunction translate those signals and messages and uh, reshape, reshape them and that is increasingly determined by uh, how concentrated and verticalized power is in that segment of the of the food chain. Um, And that ties back to our food system ultimately being uh, geared uh, disproportionately uh, towards profit maximization and and private interests. And therefore, rather than food being perceived as a a public good, but but rather it being perceived mainly as a commodity, then um, there aren't really enough public safeguards in place or regulatory safeguards in place to prevent that from happening. Um, if we look at bottlenecks uh, strictly on, on on the production side, uh, there, there are a wealth to mention, but um, to tie back to what has already been brought up quite a few times, um, there's a massive issue with, with policy coherence. So where there are, for example, environmental objectives uh, requiring certain adaptations and changes on the production side, and we have harmful subsidies incentivizing behaviors that are not particularly sustainable or continuing to um, support that kind of of behaviour. Yeah. So a number of different bottlenecks.
0: Yeah. And and so, Dr. Marco, um, I mean, your thoughts then?
5: Yeah, I quite agree with that. I mean, I think what is really missing is uh, proper action. I mean, I welcome all those uh, policy documents and also uh, the Vision 2030 document in Ireland uh, uh, hits all the right tones if you read it. Yet we must not forget Ireland, like many other uh, um, uh, EU countries, has one of the most unsustainable food systems and unsustainable diets. Uh, uh, Over 20% of... uh, um, uh, um, um, of deaths uh, every year are related to unhealthy diets in Ireland and in other member states and Ireland is focused uh very much at the moment on pr- production of animals forest foods so um without like properly discussing what kind of uh diet and uh, uh and food system we want to get at um um with spelled out reductions in meat and dairy production and consumption and increases in fruits, vegetables, legumes, whole grains, nuts and seeds and so on. uh, We really won't get anywhere. Um, And that needs uh, um, strict policies, Uh, just having informational um, measures like providing labels, Um, or nudges uh, really won't cut it. The the, uh, literature on behavioral uh, behavioral change is very clear on that. Um, And that indicates we really need multi-component approaches that not only uh, um, include informational measures, but also fiscal ones, meaning, for example, following a true cost approach where... Um, what, uh, where, for example, meat and dairy bear uh, have a cost included of, for example, the climate change impacts, the health impacts, the biodiversity impacts, and so on. Um, if we did that, our uh, research suggests that... Um, Uh, meat products could easily double in price uh, um, which would send a strong signal to consumers to shift away from those. Um, At the same time you could use those revenues to uh, help low income households to transition uh, and actually reap some of the benefits that already exist. We um, Similarly, if you reformed um, agricultural subsidies, as we already talked about, if you had a stronger, stronger coupling, for example, of subsidies at the uh, EU level, that what is being supported should actually be healthy and sustainable and not uh, even uh, not ever further basically the production of uh, lots of animal source foods, then similarly, we could uh, make important changes towards healthier and more sustainable food systems that are somewhat more plant-based. And we clearly um, um, analyzed that in our studies and demonstrated that each of those things can result in health, environmental, and uh, in, in the in the case for uh, subsidies and uh, adjustments in uh, health and environmentally motivated taxes also uh, result in economic benefits so i think we need to um, you know get uh, progress from lofty uh, ambitious statements um, to really concrete policy action that spell out where, where do we want to get to um, really at the food composition level. Um, and uh, I think that is really, really key in, in this debate going forward.
0: Indeed. Well, I'll allow Tom um, to reply to you first. Tom, go ahead.
3: Well, Food Vision 2030 is, is very clear, I think, that we need to move in, uh, in the direction of a more healthy diet. Uh, and that does mean, for most of the Western world, a reduction in meat production, in meat consumption. Um, at the same time, we're also Marco very said. clear.
0: But do you? Agree yeah, but with I, what Dr. I, Marco said about the kind of food that is more largely consumed in Ireland.
3: No, I mean I think you, you have to take account of, you know, national and regional. Uh, Preferences and deeply ingrained um, habits in regard to diet. So, you're not going to get massive dietary change, and as Marco did say, in any short time perspective, what you should be, what we should be doing, is moving uh, incrementally uh, or as fast as we can tor- towards a more healthy diet. But it also has to be said that this is very much a prescription which is you know particularly relevant to western developed countries the vast majority of the world is not at that level Is not over consuming uh, animal products and it's in their own dietary interests to in- enhance the um the consumption of animal sourced food um so i i think you know big global statements that we have to uh, make radical changes, it actually doesn't help the situation. Um, and I would really like to debate with Marco in, in a bit more detail, not not on this call, uh, his statistic that he, he talks about uh, 20% of deaths uh, being accounted for, I think you said, uh, by uh, largely contributed by consumption of, a, of animal um uh, animals uh, you know an, an animal protein Um it's no there's no question that uh, the link between uh, an unhealthy diet and poor health is absolutely unquestioned uh, and we have to to work on that but uh, I, I don't think statements that uh, you know there's a suggestion that Ireland should dramatically cut its output of, of animal for production, whether it be meat or dairying, is, is is helpful.
0: OK, uh, Dr. Marco, radical change doesn't work, does it?
3: Yeah, well, um,
5: uh, whether it works or not uh, is, of course, a matter of debate, but it's uh, absolutely necessary. So the 20% uh, um, of attributable deaths due to poor diets, that includes all kinds of dietary aspects. Um, uh, a, a big portion of it is um, high consumption of bread and processed meat, but it's also under consumption of fruits, vegetables, and other healthy foods. Um, and that 20% is very similar in lots of high-income countries, um, I- including, the, uh, including Ireland. So, you know, if Irish public policy is serious about people's health, then they ought to help uh, consumers shift diets to something that is healthier and more sustainable. And incremental changes really won't do very much there. Um, I should also say um, it's a well-threaded line to say that, oh, uh, there is an underconsumption of animal source foods in low-income countries, and therefore we ought to export those. But that is actually not true. If you look at the data um, for the aggregate for even all low-income countries shows that even low-income countries at the moment already consume more red uh, and processed meat than is considered healthy and sustainable Uh, that is something that has changed over the last years but uh, sadly lots of people still have this narrative that oh uh, we just export our way out of it and in a way our responsibility of uh, structurally changing our food system out of it by uh, uh, exporting um, unhealthy um, and unsustainable foods abroad What is very clearly needed in low income countries is the increase in nutritious uh, plant-based foods, which are woefully under-consumed in those contexts. Um, That doesn't mean, again, that um, there shouldn't be any meat uh, or dairy consumption, but at current levels, uh, you can uh, can look at the numbers and it's very clear. Um, On that, I should probably also say, how we know what is healthy and sustainable. So what I'm talking about is uh, is an outcome of a very comprehensive scientific review of the literature on healthy eating and a comprehensive environmental assessment of food systems and diets globally and uh, in each country that we conducted as part of the Eat Lancet commission on healthy diets from sustainable food systems, where a range of academic experts from different disciplines came together um, uh, to spell those things out, so this is all in the published literature, and uh, the numbers are all there. So um, uh, I would really encourage, basically, sticking to the science here.
0: Stick to the science. Okay. So Yasmin, coming to you then. Now, your alliance, um, I believe, is calling on the E to set target of shifting forty percent of current consumption of animal-based products to plant-based foods, including plant-based alternatives, by twenty thirty. Is this target realistic?
1: Yeah, I think what we've just heard is that um, the science is very clear. And I think we need to have an evidence-based approach. Um, The overconsumption of animal products is um, very drastic in the EU. And that's what we're talking about here. We're not talking about the rest of the world. Of course, uh, health and nutrition is important in the rest of the world. We're not applying this 40% reduction to the rest of the world. We're applying that to the EU where that's necessary for health reasons and for environmental reasons, as Marco just outlined so clearly. So I think the 40% is uh, a a very bold target for 2030. We have seven years and we need to do this within seven years. Uh, If we don't do this, we will see runaway climate change. We will probably see um, that the two degree um, heating limit will be exceeded by 2030. So we have no time to do incremental changes, little by little, it's too late for that. We've been trying that approach for the last 10, 20 years. And the, the kind of individual responsibility, uh, <clears throat> as Marco said, you know, you can't put all the um, responsibility in individuals. We've got to have a framework, sustainable foods framework, to set that target and to be bold about um, uh, public procurement. And where we actually set targets for public procurement, we need to look at fiscal measures, as Marco said, like VAT. And um, we have situations in member states where dairy products uh, are cheaper than um, uh, plant-based dairy alternatives. And that is you know, not helping uh, the consumer make the, easy, the healthy choice and the con- sustainable choice, the easy choice. We need to make it affordable for everyone. Um, and I think labeling is also important. Uh, we need to be able to call a veggie burger, veggie burger, and uh, plant-based milk, plant-based milk. because The consumer is using these products in that way. They're using that to choose the alternative for meat and dairy. If we make it difficult for them, if we find ways to kind of put them off with the labeling and make it difficult to find those products, then they're going to make it even more difficult to to consume these products. So I think labeling denominations, uh, setting targets in the protein strategy, in the sustainable food systems framework um, and Yeah, VAT, other fiscal measures, we need to look at all of these measures to make the plant-based foods attractive and healthy because they are healthy and sustainable. And they need to be consumed in much larger quantities. And we're saying 40% on average. So some people may well go, like like myself, 100% vegan. Other people will become flexitarian. That's fine. But we cannot sustain to continue eating 70 kilos of meat per year or more Uh, per capita, and then also tons of fish, uh, eggs, and other dairy products. So this is not sustainable. We've got to be more bold.
0: Okay, so just a quick follow-up Then, I mean, obviously you think change needs to happen yesterday, but, you know, there's lots of things that obviously we can do, but why do you think the message really isn't getting through when it comes to plant-based foods or eating sustainably? Why are we still, um, you know, as... A public still you know wanting to have our meat and to have our more traditional national diets why don't people believe the message yet
1: they are but there's a lot of misinformation that suits certain sectors of the food system very well that uh, kind of capitalize on the current inflation of course that's really bad for everyone uh, it hits everyone but it hit certain sectors harder so Uh, We need to make sure that people can afford the healthy and sustainable food options that they need for their own health and for public uh, and and planetary uh, diets as well. And I think we need to encourage that. Um, As I mentioned, VAT, it shouldn't be the case that uh, plant-based options are more expensive than meat and dairy. In fact, it should be the other way. As Marco said, we should look at the externalities of the costs that are associated with meat and dairy products. If you look at all the river pollution here, I mean, based in the UK, pretty much all the rivers are polluted because of animal agriculture. The River Y in Herefordshire is completely polluted because of chicken farming there. And um, if you actually included the cost of that uh, cleaning up of the rivers into the animal products, the products would be far more expensive. Also, they're currently very much subsidised by the uh, Common Agricultural Policy. You know, that they shouldn't be subsidised. Why? We don't do that with cars, do we? We are now actually moving away with um, heavy polluting cars like diesel to uh, better car systems and electric vehicles, and we're incentivizing that. The same should happen. The same principle should happen. It's not all about the individual choice, it's about the policy environment, the food environment. It needs to be attractive. Um, we need to inv- invest in research and innovation as well. Uh, some of the products are maybe not good enough yet. So let's really be serious about this and put more money into the Horizon project and find out what great products we can make with pulses, with healthy ingredients, and uh, and make it really appetizing and appealing for people.
0: Okay, so Anastasia, do you provide enough incentives? And there was a point that one of the other panelists made earlier, and um, we saw what you said there as well, about um, an increase in better agri-subsidies as well. So please, go ahead.
2: Yes, if I may, uh, I'd like also to make a link to what uh, Yasmin also mentioned uh, in her intervention. Uh, I believe food is very much entrenched on culture. Uh, This is is something we need to acknowledge if we want to move forward. Uh, We have uh, food is emotional, we are emotionally about food so it has certain particularities food as such that makes the transition which already anyway a transition is always painful it's always difficult so there are some uh how can i say inherent difficulties that we have to overcome so when these are piled with additional elements let's say obstacles that do not facilitate the easy choice they All the the combination, the aggregation of these factors makes the choice difficult and makes the transition difficult. I think what we see overall is the broad acknowledgement from all food system actors, uh, from the consumers, from the governments, but also business operators, that we need a transition. We all agree on the goal, we may disagree on the how, but we all agree on the, on the, on the goal. Uh, so the farm to fork strategy basically brought to the fore was also, also part of the Green Deal, uh, a mechanism how to address this for the next few years. What the framework comes, as I said in my opening is to solidify this, not just as a statement of the commission, but as um, an ambition and as a goal of the two co-legislators. So we are moving from a communication document into a legal document that actually uh, provides the direction where to go. Now, in terms of incentives, yes, we want to, we'd like to stimulate more the food environment, that's where action, we do not see too much action. There are two ways, if you like, one, two instruments that we are thinking about is more the labeling but then again not only labeling because uh, sustainability related information the provision of sustainability related information puts too much the burden on the consumer to choose but that is the not the only aspect we need to do more public procurement is an adapt opportunity There, member states could also meet up to their their, their guidelines and step up efforts. We can do more on food waste. We can do more on short supply chains as well. I think that's where we would like to focus on. And an important element is governance. I keep repeating, we need to talk to another. We need to acknowledge differences, but we also need to learn uh, from best practices and to provide that platform. We need to engage with member states, with food system actors, potentially with uh, uh, food councils, if they are created, where they're created at local or regional level to provide a voice uh, for this transition. Transition is not painless, but it can happen. And we aim to make it happen.
0: Isabel, are they making it happen? Sorry? Are oh,
4: they making it happen um uh well uh undoubtedly the as i mentioned and and i think others as well have mentioned i mean the the, the farm to fork uh strategy and the prospect an idea of a, a framework law for sustainable food systems is is a very important uh, sign and a very important uh, step in the right direction. I, I, I do want to second w- what both uh, Marco and Yasman has me- have mentioned before. Time is 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 really pressing, and um, steps in the right direction are you know. I guess we're at a state where we will take uh, what we're <laughs> what we're offered, and and they are very very promising and, and a great sign and 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 we are aware of the the amount of, of work and dedication that the the commission is is putting in this undoubtedly um yeah the as marco mentioned the numbers are, are there they're they're out they're published and they have been known for for a while action needs to happen um as quickly as possible um and saying on transitioning diets and food environments um one thing it's, it's undoubtedly true that, uh, how we eat and what we eat is rooted in, in, in cultural, personal, social aspects, but, and, and the changes is, is very difficult, um, at the same time, I do want to highlight that, uh, for between the fifties and the early two thousands diets across Europe changed massively. So in terms of the normal time it would take for cultural, uh, aspects of of, of diet to change that was a pretty quick change and the reason that change happened was that there were extremely strong interests in making that change happen and yes uh, people can have res- resistance you know and and difficulty in in accepting um, new new dietary patterns um, and what you were mentioning earlier you know, has the message not been heard? Yes, the message is being heard, but the message is extremely contradictory and the the signals that people get between the information that is available and what they find in retail environments is extremely conflicting it 's not like the healthiest and most sustainable options are the cheapest they 're not the ones that are there uh, colorfully advertised and placed at eye level at at cash outs thats that 's not what 's being pushed that 's just not. That's not happening. So we can give people all of the information they want, but public relations and marketing since the thirties and forties have have been developed to an extent whereby it's not about providing people with, with, with information. It's also about considering that very different consumers access retail environments and their first preoccupation, and this is numbers, is price. Uh, and this is not because they don't care about the environment. This is not because they don't care about their health. This is because it's it's a normal constraint of, of the reality we live in. We don't all have uh, infinite means and, and infinite time and ability to access the best available information, reflect on how we want to adapt our choices, and then have the financial means to enact that. Um, and that's really what needs to be targeted. And it needs to go through food environments. It needs to be a food environments approach if we want to streamline that change. But there needs to be dedication to making that change happen and recognition of the fact that we just sometimes we don't have the time. So yes, the change needs to be fair, but it will take time. Um, And that way it requires
0: public support. OK, so follow up there with Tom.
3: Well, I agree with a lot of what Isabel has said. I mean some of the um, constraints of, of shifting to a healthier diet are, are clear it's either the power of some of the big actors in the in the in the food chain um or just you know the, the pressure on ordinary people to um to, to buy the, the, they're basically not able to afford the, the healthier diet it's, it's easier and it's cheaper to to buy a less healthy diet so uh, this needs to be recognized, and I, I think we need, I would say we need more government willingness to to commit to creating a, a food environment um, which enables people to move in this direction. Um, it also means that I think there, there needs to be a a much greater public and political awareness of the... The consequences, the health consequences—not just health, but the cost of health—of unhealthy diets, and that then should lead, I, I think, to, to more, um, you know, clear-cut action on, on the part of many governments to see how that can be changed. Uh, and that's a, an issue which applies everywhere. I mean, it applies. I mean, you're getting what's called now the the triple burden of malnutrition. Um, both undernutrition, micronutrient deficiency and overweight and obesity even in poor countries so there needs to be a you know a comprehensive approach uh, to, to tackle this and i think governments uh, at individual government level and i think at international level there just needs to be a, a greater prioritization of this food system issue and agreement on actions that can be put in place to to deal with it.
0: Um, Yasmin, I'll follow up with you there. But also, um, you know, when the other panelists, they've spoken about, you know, food being cultural, um, emotional, um, where does plant-based fit into this? Because obviously, as we said, it provides the, the kind of protein alternative. And one thing that we do know about plant-based burgers and and such products, um, these meat alternatives also mimic the kind of texture on meat. So in in some way, they do sort of satisfy, you could say, a meat craving. So what kind of innovation could come in plant-based food? Um, Could we see things like edible fungi, spirulina, um, antioxidants, um, amino acids, you know, um, different kind of ingredients being put into food um so it is healthier but also takes into consideration you know national preferences or culture or the emotion that's attached to food.
1: Yes yeah, so taste is very important I think um, after price that's the second most important factor um, and I think a lot of research and innovative um, uh, yeah research is taking place for example I've recently heard about um, fermenting peas uh, yeah you can eat peas directly it's healthy but a lot of people have so you know some kind of concerns about it or they think it's a bit bland or a taste of peas but by fermenting them you can actually take away the taste of pea and you still have all the um, nutritional values in fact they all were enhanced when they were fermented and we also know that other fermented food can be very healthy indeed for for gut health and everything So there's a lot of research that's going into this um, to make foods, you know, better, taste better, um, enhance the uh, nutritional values of that. And in fact, one of the main universities is also based in in Ireland. Um, We have a project called Smart Protein Project with about 17 partners across Europe uh, with a leader based in, in Ireland. And um, they're looking at upcycling waste from products like beer and, and pasta and bread making um, to, to use those products and create new protein products. Um, so it takes two boxes, mainly um, uh, reducing waste and also new uh, plant based products that are very healthy and um, tasty. And I think that's the kind of research that we need more of in the EU. In fact, um, we should really shift a lot of the resources away from animal based research, um, animal based food products to plant based food products, because that's the kind of shift that we're talking about. You know, uh, uh, we can talk about lofty numbers, as, as Marco said earlier, but we need to see the action. We need to see the shift of money. That's the main thing we need to see the shift in procurement. Um, make, and For example, um, ProFetch is involved here in the UK in school menus and we've already helped more than 8 million meals to go from meat-based to plant-based and the schools are loving it, the children are loving it, they are willing to, to look at their menus and say okay help us, how do we change our language, how do we nudge uh, children to choose the right um, option and how, how do we prepare this food so we we organize um, catering workshops to give the caterers ideas and inspiration to cook better healthy food it's all within the framework it's cheap healthy accessible etc uh, we do the costing of environmental footprints compared to the animal um, alternative and it's very easy for people then to see the impacts i think that's the kind of action that we need across the eu at all public institutions um and 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 give people the space to experiment and to innovate and make it easy for entrepreneurs um, a lot of entrepreneurs are now leaving europe because the red tape and a bureaucracy is not helping them they're going to places like singapore for example or uh maybe the us where it's easier to to kind of do that kind of research we need to make it attractive for researchers and food science and food technologists to come up with the uh, answers of today and tomorrow for, for better food, food security food um, sustainability.
0: Okay well I'll bring up that point with entrepreneurs leaving um, the Eid Anasazi in a second but first Dr Marco there was an important point made there um, about you know changing the culture from a young age so is a way to get people to eat more sustainably I mean obviously one thing we haven't spoken about we haven't really touched upon the fact that there was a COVID-19 pandemic there's an ongoing war in Ukraine there's an energy crisis food crises that of course over Um, They also further expose the kind of vulnerability of global food chains. So if we were to teach kids from a young age and for schools perhaps to adopt better, more sustainable menus, is that the way to improve the culture?
5: yeah that can surely be one way of doing it um at the moment there is hardly uh there is really not much in terms of having a sustainable school meal policy in very many countries it's not uh, an issue that is picked up at the leadership level uh, with very minimal guidance the guidance that is there sometimes when it's there refers to national dietary guidelines and we know from comprehensive assessments that they are inadequate uh, when it comes to providing uh, scientific advice on healthy and sustainable dietary eating. Um, um, also, due to the lack of uh, recommendations on animal source foods, so um, one way or the other, we come back to this uh, to this question of culture, as ra- raised here. And I mean, I think it's a lazy argument. Uh, if we go back, um, many cultures didn't used to eat so many uh, animal source foods, and uh, the high consumption is really much uh, innov- uh, a recent development uh, that has been fueled by the massive reduction in prices on animal source foods and basically dedicated investments, as you can see uh, in the Netherlands and Ireland. So, um, culture is uh, really determined by relative prices in the food market, which uh, is determined by what policies are out there. So you can get any diet anywhere being uh, in line with you know a more cultural diet if you want so, or an older diet that is more plant-based right You have a classical Mediterranean diet that is uh, very low in animal source foods, very healthy. you have classical Nordic diets that look like that. Uh, you have find examples in almost any country that uh, has a better composition and is older than what we eat now. So, you know, this um, reference to culture and we can't change is a bit lazy, I think. Um, and similarly, so the focus on specific um, alternative products is uh, is also slightly lazy because we don't have this food environment that actually encourage a a healthy plate with a healthy composition. We are in this situation where innovators or businesses try just to replace one for one, but that misses also the mark because as as Tom mentioned earlier, it's not only the uh, high consumption of of animal source foods, it's also the under consumption of fruits and vegetables. So from a public health perspective, we really need to tackle everything that we have on the plate uh, and not only one product uh, here and one product there and that really requires comprehensive policy support and changes in the food environment
0: okay jasmine
1: yeah uh, all good points i think and um i think the yeah a lot of the alternatives are used often as a bridge technology or a bridge um, alternative to get people to shift away from plant from meat based products to plant based. Um, And uh, I think looking at increasing pulse consumption um, and and other whole grains is really important. Marketing plays a really important role as well. Um, And I think the EU can again set a good example and not actually continue with the current promotion policy, but move away from promoting animal-based foods to more plant-based foods, um, whole fruits and grains, but also alternatives uh, to animal products, I think, should be eligible for that kind of promotion. Um, And what we also just discussed about children, um, one other example is the school scheme, of course, where children currently get fruit and veg and and dairy milk in schools. Um, What we're calling for is also for children to access alternatives to dairy milk, such as Uh, unsweetened, fortified, um, plant-based milks. And that's really important for children who cannot tolerate milk, but also who choose not to drink milk, um, and who want an alternative and don't want to feel like they're missing out. So that's another example where the EU school scheme can make um, a policy change in the right direction. Uh, We've seen some opposition, but we're hoping still that later this year we see a proposal from the Commission that allows children to choose. We're not even saying you know, get rid of all the milk. We uh, understand that that's part of the the scheme, but we do want to see an inclusion of uh, plant-based alternatives so children have an option. And um, I don't think that's too much to ask. It's just one practical example, again, of making it easily available and accessible for for people.
0: Okay, well, listen, uh, we're gonna go to the audience now, panelists. We have a question from Michael. Anastasia, I'll come to you for this one. Um, Michael says, agree on importance of labeling and greening public procurement of food. One obvious step would be to stop EU-funded promotional campaigns for meat and dairy products. Do you agree?
2: I think uh, Yasmin uh, also touched upon it. Uh, We need to address, and and promotion policy is mentioned in the farm-to-fork strategy as one of the policies to be reviewed. Uh, so, yes, we need to bring back the balance uh, and that's what we have lost the overconsumption of dairy and red meat and underconsumption of uh, plant, uh, plant-based uh, products, um, nuts, uh, fish, if you like, even and uh, uh, vegetables, uh, fruits and vegetables yes we need to to revisit the farm to fox strategy did that precisely that so we are in the process of materializing they use school schemes is one of the actions to be reviewed as as very well said by uh, jasmine that we need to to see a bit more there
0: um Mark, I'll come to you with this one because Torben says he agrees with you. He says we need action. And speaking of the EU, what's about a more efficient and faster novel food procedure? No endless discussions about categories. If a plant-based sausage is a sausage, it's a sausage.
5: Yeah, as I said, I mean, I see this discussion as missing the mark slightly. I mean, I'm, I for one don't really care how you call, call the food as long as is, um, you know, you have a healthy composition on your plate. Um, if we look at the studies, I mean, all those processed plant based products. Yeah, they do have higher greenhouse gas emissions because they use fairly energy-intensive shearing machines very often to mimic the structure of meat. Uh, so, if you compare, uh, for example, unprocessed legumes with like a burger, plant-based burger patty or sausage, then very often you have uh, five times the emissions associated with those products. Um, they are still much less greenhouse gas-intensive in- than the animal products they uh, uh, they seek to replace. Uh, But uh, the emission saving uh, is much less so than with unprocessed foods. So with unprocessed foods, you have a factor of 10 to 100. With processed ones, uh, more um, a factor of uh, 2 to 20, something like that, uh, 5 to 20. Um, So um, uh, you're missing an opportunity here, I think, uh, if uh, if you're not talking about uh, creating more plant-based meals instead of plant-based Products and similarly, so we see that with uh, potential health impacts. So you only address maybe the uh, the um, red and processed meat portion of the equation, but you miss uh, basically uh, three quarters of uh, the foods that are important for the diet-related di- disease burden. Uh, and in addition, when very many of the processed plant-based products they include lots of additives, high amounts of sodium. So it's uh, they're most likely healthier than processed meat and red meat but it's not so clear if they're actually healthier than for example white meat and fish uh, because of all those additives and the high sodium so um, whereas for unprocessed uh, products like uh, legumes nuts um, fruits and vegetables whole grains uh, as well uh, it's very clear that they are much healthier so uh, again I can only encourage that we somehow uh, don't lose sight of of, uh, the diet equation here
0: So, Dr. Marco, then follow up. Um, So, do you think there's been too much of a rush to rush out all of these plant-based solutions and especially um, the meat alternatives? Because, I mean, for anyone that's watching, someone who's thinking, "Okay, I need to change up my diet. Um, I don't, you know, I'm being told I don't need to eat. I shouldn't eat meat. It's bad for the environment." But then they're hearing you, or they're hearing this discussion, and you know, as I said in my introduction. You know, we've always been told that don't eat processed foods. They're bad for you. Go for the fresh food. So there's so much confusion for the consumer, isn't there?
5: Oh, absolutely. And I think lots of the confusion exists. Um, um, for one, you have uh, lots of food companies who want to sell their products, so they market uh, as much out of it as they can. Then you have politicians who continue to say, oh, our meat and dairy is the healthiest meat uh, uh, and most sustainable uh, meat or, or even food product guess such that is there. um you hear that very uh, very regularly by politicians which uh, is completely inconsistent and uh, scientifically wrong um, so uh, I totally get that consumers are confused when it comes to research and the uh, academic side of things the recommendations what uh, is healthy um, has been the same for really decades so it's very clear that um, Um, What you need to have on your plate uh, every day is like five to six, up to eight uh, portions of fruits and vegetables per day um um, uh, uh, and really meat and dairy only in moderation so um for example in the eat lancet commission we spelled out how a healthy and sustainable dietary pattern could look like and according to this you should uh uh, you should have um at least five five portions of fruits and vegetables per day one to two portions of legumes uh, per day one to two portions of nuts per day whole grains instead of processed grains um and uh, in moderation, you should have uh, basically not more than one serving of red meat per week, no processed meat, not more than two servings of poultry per week, not more than two servings of fish per week. And if you have dairy, not more than one uh, serving a day. Uh, so if you spell that out, you know, you can have a very varied diet uh, and um, uh, um, only need to include, so to say, one, uh, two days a week where you should try to be vegetarian or vegan, but it really needs to be all in proportion. And most of your plate should be basically uh, very colorful, full with foods, vegetables, and so on, um, and no processed, uh, processed grains. Uh, and if you stick to this, and this, these recommendations are really, uh, you know, they are consensus recommendations that have been out in, in the public health sphere uh, for, forever, and they're underpinned by really strict and rigorous epidemiological research. If you stick to this, and you can have any kind of uh, um, ethnic, national food preference diet uh, that you want that is uh, in line with, uh, with these, uh, even going up to completely plant-based diets or relatively more pescetarian diets, that is all fine. But um, the, the key aspect is if you stick roughly with those proportions, you're fine. You don't need any you know, new food product uh, to be healthy and sustainable. You just need to get your, the composition of your diet right.
0: Okay. Isabel, follow up with you on that then.
4: Uh, follow up. Uh, could, yeah, do you so, have a you know, question? Sorry, Mariam.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, Dr. Marco though, was essentially saying that, you know, you just need to essentially eat better for yourself. So how much of a confusion then is it for the consumer? Um, they know that they sh- everyone, I think, knows that they should eat better. But if these new products that are coming onto the market, the plant-based products, you know, if their ingredients aren't quite right, um, then they're not the better alternative. Um, yes, um
4: thank you for clarifying that, sorry. Um, um yes, well I think this ties back really to uh what we were talking about earlier in terms of making sure that the burden of the transition is not entirely on the consumer, because yes, we can improve information to consumers and so on and so forth, but ultimately it's it's a very complex um reality that we that we face when uh entering the retail environment. Um, and that's why it's extremely important for policy to act on food environments uh, and the retail level. But uh, as we were just mentioning, you know, uh, childhood and uh, child uh, children and cultural aspects of of diets. That's where, uh, for example, regulation, public regulation of of, of public procurement, public and private com- procurement, can really come in and make a difference and create food environments in which in fact, the, the, that complexity of the choice is reduced by regulating what's, uh, what's made available and ensuring that what is made available is uh, uh, healthy, nutritious, um, attractive and, and, and sustainable. Um, and that also uh, obviously ties into specifically um, composition and, and recommendations, these are established Uh, At the the public level, we have this great opportunity of the sustainable food systems law um, where, uh, of course, there are issues of of competence. So at the EU level, um, the EU EU can set uh, some strict um, criteria for public and private uh, procurement. It's got a great track record of limiting marketing of uh, substances that are unhealthy. Um, so it can act on that and it can encourage uh, member states to act on those levels uh, that are of national competence, such as national dietary guidelines It should be reviewed and aligned with that uh, scientific consensus that Marco was just referring to. Um, so I think making sure, if we concentrate on making sure that the burden of change is not entirely on the consumer, then yes awareness raising campaigns information to consumers can be there as complementary policy measures to sort of facilitate the transition and uh, facilitate health and sustainable choices for consumers but it's really on public authorities to make sure that there is a regulatory system in place that supports enabling food environments
0: okay well let's pick up on that burden of change then yes come to you um, We've obviously been been discussing the kind of ingredients that go into plant-based solutions and, of course, their price. Now, Antonella has also um, asked that question, and she says that meat is currently too expensive. Plant-based alternatives are more expensive, and I think I can concur with that. If you go to supermarket, you know, your fillets of chicken are much more cheaper than two plant-based burgers. So is there a plan to adjust the price, and what would that take, do you think?
1: Yeah, so there's a couple of uh, factors that influence price, of course. Um, So first of all, um, the price is coming down. Last year, uh, ProVeg did research in the Netherlands and found that actually several plant-based alternatives to meat products were cheaper or at least the same price as meat. Um, This was primarily the beginning of the year uh, before the major inflation hit, uh, which I referred to earlier, um, and that threw everything upside down and all the prices went up. but of course the products as i said the animal products are being subsidized heavily by the common agricultural policy subsidies so they are not reflecting the true price they're not including all the externalities like the cost of pollution etc um <clears throat> so if they actually had a proper price on them they would be far more expensive than they currently are um, and when more and more people buy alternative products that that price will also come down and we've already seen that, um, not only in the Netherlands, but also in Germany, the prices are quite affordable and they are not quite, quite at parity. And that is something that we need to work towards. Um, and that's again, a, a joint shared responsibility by food producers, retailers. Um, again the VAT issue that I mentioned earlier, that's a, a governmental responsibility. Um, so all of these actors need to come together and actually be committed to um, working towards price prosperity. Uh, we're very keen to do more research in this, uh, into this and make sure that we get um, a market environment that is competitive. And we also want to make sure that Europe remains competitive within <coughs> uh, the world and that we are not getting flooded by um, even cheaper animal products from abroad uh, that are, you know, kind of the result of slave labor. Let's be honest about it because it's not just the animals that are suffering, but also people in, in many uh, systems and the consumer don't know these things. So they need to be aware about the true cost of products, true costs of um, uh, particularly animal products. And I think when we get more of a push towards eating healthy, then we will see prices coming down as well in, in, in the medium term. It probably won't happen this year i think we need to be a little bit patient hopefully next year things will start to uh, turn around
0: okay uh, dr marker you wanted to comment on um, affordability I understand
5: yeah exactly i mean i just want to mention i mean we, we did a very comprehensive piece of research on the cost of different diets again and um, here we actually did find that if you have uh, a shopping basket uh, with the foods that make up healthy and sustainable diet that are unprocessed, then that shopping basket is actually already cheaper than uh, the shopping basket of an average uh, EU diet that contains lots of uh, meat and dairy. So there are already savings that could be reaped, even with the current pricing structure, which uh, uh, which is totally out of whack. I absolutely agree. But very, many, very often consumers uh, are really not aware that a more uh, plant-based dietary pattern, is already cheaper uh, and more affordable than uh, than the average meat meat-heavy diet, and um, on a percentage level, we estimate uh, 15 to 30 percent savings on your cost of diet mm-hmm. that you can have wh- when transitioning to to a more plant-based diet. But um, I mean, very often the consumers also just don't know how to how to put those uh, together and make a make a meal um, or, or um, that, that that really fits uh, fits their palate. So that shows really you need both. Um, uh, fiscal incentives and strong messaging uh, that, uh, that um, uh, portray also uh, that send a signal what is desirable in, in a society. So just one or the other uh, doesn't work, but probably we need both together.
0: Okay. Um, Tom, I'll come to you next with um, the next question. Um, Mila says, do you think the adoption of anti-meat policies might provoke active protests of people in member states? I mean, we can't go around banning um, and saying it's it's bad because we don't actually know what is better, what is not, right?
3: I think there's, there's limited uh, scope for diktat in terms of food policy as to what people eat. I mean, people have to be persuaded, I think, um, that the, the, they to move in the direction of, of healthier diets. But I'd like to maybe just as we come to the end here, broaden this conversation a a little bit. I mean, our our discussion has necessarily been largely on on the realities here in Europe and EU policy, etc. But um, the wider question of the role of food in the world and its importance has really come to the fore in the last, I would say, five years. Um, The the fact that the um, this UN secretary general called the food system summit at, in the first instance, he made the direct link between uh, sustainable food systems and the achievement of the broader set of sustainable development goals. You then had uh, COVID which brought home to people, the many issues about supply chains and vulnerabilities, etc. And in the last year, you've had the impact of the war of you, of you in Ukraine which directly led to massive hikes in food prices, but also hikes in fertilizer and energy prices. All of this, and it also brought home to people how import dependent many parts of the world, particularly in Africa and the Middle East, were on exports from Russia and Ukraine. Now, the the logic of all that, the political logic of all that, is that over the next decade, Many more countries should be looking towards their own food security and food security policies uh, to make sure they are supplying more of their own uh, foods it 's not just i 'm not talking going back to a, a policy of self sufficiency all over the place and because i mean trade is it will continue to be important. But the, the overall importance of the, of the issue of food security has really moved up the agenda. And we, Europe, I think, has, a, has an important role to play in this. To uh, agree with that changed importance and to work with many countries that will be themselves trying to improve their food security over the next decade to work with them. Uh, to, to help them to do that, so that's I think a, a perspective on this debate, which I, I think is perhaps necessary to insert at the end of this uh, con- this conversation.
0: Oh, definitely, and, and thank you for um, um, giving us that world view to end on. Um, we've got a couple of minutes left, so panelists, I'll allow you all to say a final thought or something that you advocate for. Anastasia, coming to you first.
2: Yes, uh, well, it was a pleasure to be part of this panel uh, that underlined also even more the needs uh, from for a framework that we need to uh, set the foundations for the paradigm shift. We need to responsabilize all food system actors. That's, I think, another key message. Uh, also governments. And if I may, I would like also to underline that governments have uh also the responsibility in their national competence which is the fiscal policy which is the educational policy to do something to do more retailers also they have to do more how you place your products in 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 the supermarket you nudge the consumers they know the art of nudging the consumers they can do that and uh, support the transition uh the EU has all the elements in place within its shared competence to act upon it. Farm to Fox strategy was a major first step forward. We need to do the next. We need to come now with the framework to solidify the ambition.
0: Well, hopefully you do. Uh, Tom, over to you.
3: Well, I I would agree with that last comment from Anastasia. I mean, I I do think um, governments need to to be actually more active in this foo- area of food space, essentially creating a food, env- a food environment that's conducive to moving uh, towards a, uh, you know, moving the consumer towards better consumption patterns. But um, we haven't mentioned at all uh, right through this conversation, the importance of the people who actually produce the food. Um, they, and this is where I come back to this definition of what is sustainability and it is it has to have elements of economic sustainability for the people who produce the food uh, environmental sustainability which makes sure that the environmental footprint increasingly is is reduced and social sustainability about and this is about rural communities and how they uh, fulfill their uh, r- job of, of producing food but also has have other opportunities to to to, to continue to live in a reasonably uh, you know well-developed rural society so i think th- th- these elements are you know that's part of the, the wider picture which ultimately our strategy in ireland food vision 2030 attempted to capture
0: thank you so much and great point to make um isabel over to you
4: Yes, thank you. And, uh, and thank you also, Tom, for mentioning the importance of, uh, of the people producing uh, our food. Um, maybe I'd like to close recognising that the transition we've been talking about really clearly requires a massive uh, mobilisation of political will, awareness raising and, and, and organisational capacity and the sustainable food systems law can be the first inaugural step to achieve that transition. Um, We need to achieve that transition to a sustainable food system uh, through a just transition and in order to do that we will have to make sure that everyone is a contributing element in building a food system in which um, healthy and sustainable food is easily accessible to everyone as a rule uh, and in which people and animals along the whole chain at home and abroad uh, are guaranteed full enjoyment of their rights. Um, And we will have to recognize the the dire power power imbalances that that are currently uh, delaying that transition. But luckily, we really don't have the luxury of time. And luckily, uh, we do have have the answers in terms of policy measures, public procurement to address food environments, um, agricultural models at the agricultural level, alternative food networks, food policy councils, that are changing and transforming urban food environments across Europe uh, do provide ways forward. Um, and, and we need the, the policy structure to incentivize that and ensure they are picked up um, uh, across, across the board. Uh, yes, our current prospects in terms of climate change and biodiversity crisis uh, and, and, and food security are dire, uh, but that might just mean that we get the opportunity of creating a better food system so it's not all
0: bad (laughs) okay thank you so much dr marco
5: yeah, um i think we uh, it has become clear that we really need consistent and clear targets for chain, for uh, to in, to support the di- uh, dietary transition towards healthier and more sustainable uh, diets those targets should be flexible enough of course to be uh, adoptable in um every member state uh, and in general um, meaning they they shouldn't be overly prescriptive, but at a food group level, that is very much uh, very much possible here. Um, then I think we need clear policy measures like um, adjustments, uh, healthy and uh, ecologically friendly um, tax reforms, including VAT. Reforms, true cost accounting, maybe an inclusion of agriculture in the EU ETS and a really uh, um, a healthy and sustainably motivated reform of the CAP uh, that further goes, uh, the, the Common Agricultural Policy that further goes into the, uh, that direction. And then lastly, also really consistent messaging where really all government departments. Um, are uh, on board with uh, um, with uh, basically uh, the discussion of where the science is on healthy and sustain- sustainable eating. Um, and uh, maybe lastly, uh, stop in just, you know, empty rhetoric uh, that talks about lofty goals of regenerable, uh, regenerable, regenerative agriculture or, or organic agriculture to actually going down to the weeds of what actually makes a difference. Basics,
0: Right then, um, great. Um, Yasmin, over to you.
1: Yeah, thank you. I concur with what's been said already. Um, We are also mindful that a vision and recommendations alone are not enough. Uh, As we gather here, we recognize the urgency and the complexity of the task. Uh, The time for incremental change has passed. The urgency is um, requiring a fundamental change now. Um, and only through bold and comprehensive actions can we build a resilient and equitable food system that harmonizes our planet's resources and safeguards the well-being of present and future generations. Uh, Food security was mentioned, it's very much part of all of this and uh, the the world would be much more food secure if it was much less reliant on animal products because that's the first user of resources such as water, clean water, um, and energy etc compared to plant-based food so we really must shift in the direction of a more plant-based food system um, and the EU can demonstrate its commitment by um, putting together a very solid sustainable food systems framework uh, reducing greenhouse gas emissions preserving biodiversity empowering farmers to embrace um, better practices and and rejuvenating our soils also we haven't talked about soils we haven't talked about antimicrobial resistance etc there's so many topics that are all uh, interlinked there may not be silver bullets to change um, uh, to to fight climate change but transitioning towards more plant-based foods and diets uh, can give us a big um, head, head start I think Um, And we need to seize the opportunity now to to be the catalyst for change within Europe and pave the way forward for a more greener and sustainable future.
0: Thank you so much. Well, there is just so much to talk about. And I think, you know, this is just one conversation and many more to come. You know, you you guys spoke there about change, clear targets, information, incentive, policy, all of these things need to be pushed forward if that change is going to come. Thank you, panellists, for a great debate. Um, And thank you to all of our audience for watching with us. I'm Aram Zaidi, and I hope today has given you perhaps some food for thought um, as you now look towards your lunch. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a EURACTIVE debate in collaboration with the European Alliance for Plant-Based Foods. Take care and bye-bye from all of us.